3-1. That's in the air straightaway center field. Hicks goes back. He turns around, and it is gone. George Springer turns it around. A go-ahead two-run home run to the base of the batter's eye. It's a Springer dinger, right? Spring has sprung, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Might as well get it out of the way early. It's Blair and Barker, hour two on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Jay's taking on the Detroit Tigers this afternoon at 105. Spring training wraps up tomorrow against Baltimore. Then the boys are back here. Got an off day Wednesday to get settled into their digs. Thursday is a workout. Friday is the opener as the Jays take on the Texas Rangers. We will be on the air from 3 to 5 Friday. And um, at least that, I, I believe that's, that's the plan. You just have to follow us on social media or follow me on social media. You should go on social media. Absolutely Park. not. You should? Absolutely not. That's why you get paid the big bucks. I see <laughs> it, buddy. Yeah, right. Uh, every show, by the way, we will continue to do something we did on the podcast, uh, Barker's Back Lake Bits, where you get to ask Barker a question. And uh, you can you can do that by following me on social media, SN Jeff Blair. DMs are open uh, for most of you. I don't know. I, I guess there's still people I blocked, but I haven't blocked any. I haven't blocked anybody in like a year, I think, because I just don't care anymore. But uh, hmm. anyhow. If you've got questions for Barker, you can uh, you can DM them. We've got a couple of good questions for Kevin today that we'll uh, we'll address after the show. So before the break, I mentioned talked about the Jays the Jays lineup, and so far we've seen Kevin a couple of iterations of the Jays lineup. Right, we've seen Bo hitting second, Vladdy hitting second, Bo hitting cleanup, Vladdy hitting third. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, those four guys, the one thing we do know is the dude that hit that home run, George Springer, he's going to be leading off. Yep. We know that. Now, I think we're both on the same page here. I really like Bo in the cleanup spot. I think you like Bo in the cleanup spot. I do. I like Vladdy hitting second. I do. I think you like Vladdy hitting second. Now, I, I, I thought of this today because there's a story out of Washington yesterday that really got my attention. Um, the Washington Nationals have spent all spring training successfully, it seems, trying to convince Juan Soto to move into the second spot of the, of the order. Um, Dave Martinez sat down with Soto in spring training and said, look, last year we ended games with you in the on-deck circle 14 times. Last year, our number two hitter, appeared 19 more times than you did out of the number three spot. He told them that seven of the last 10 MVPs hit mostly second, and then he started rattling off names of guys who have had great years out of the second spot. Yelich, Otani, Trout, Freeman, Altuve, Harper, and even Judge and, and Manny Machado. So the idea is that it used to be you want your best hitter hitting third. We talked about that. You want your best hitter hitting second. The numbers show if you hit second, you are going to get to the plate more often than if you hit third. And if you're the Jays, Kevin, and you miss the playoffs by a game, and you're in a division where 
you got to be looking to win 92, 93, 94, 95 games to win this division. You're going to want Vladdy to have as many at-bats as possible. Now, I know you've talked to the coaches. They are aware of this. They've done all the hard math, haven't they? Absolutely. Well, you remember the conversation that I had with you when I was in spring training and I was sitting on that bench and you asked me about the lineup and where do you think these guys are, are going to be hitting? And I said I'd had conversations and they'd done the, all the math and, you know, the khakis were sitting in the room doing everything that tells you exactly that. What you're talking about, the Nationals, you know, sitting down going, okay, how do we get our best hitter at the plate more than everybody else? And that's basically what this is. Like, uh, who would you rather have hitting 19 more times on the season, Bo or Vladdy? That's a no-brainer for me. Vladdy right now is a better hitter than Bo. Yes. You, You want that. And for me, this is about one thing. When do most starting pitchers have the hardest time? Early in games. games. If I have to, if I'm a pitcher and I see George Springer walk to the plate, and then I see Vladdy standing on the on deck circle. Now I know it's only one batter, and he's obviously going to get up in the first inning, regardless of whether he's hitting second or third. But now all of a sudden, you know, it gets a little tighter on the mound, and I'm thinking about aiming pitches, and then it's one nothing, and then it could be two nothing before Bo or Teoscar even walk to the plate. That's the whole point here. And how many games did the the Blue Jays miss the playoffs by last year? Yep, one. So that's the whole point here is if you get Vladdy 19 more at-bats, maybe he runs into two more homers. Maybe there's two or three guys on base. A couple of those are, are two or three run homers. That can win you a game or two. That gets you in the playoffs. So, yeah, these teams are sitting down. They're just not making these lineups. They're not throwing a bunch of names in a hat, and then coaches are all sticking their hand down in there, and, and whoever they pick out, that's who they're writing in. No. They're trying to put their team and the best players that they have in the best positions to get them the most wins at the end of the season. And as bunched up as the American League East is, with those four teams, it could be determined by one or two games. And I just think for me this this is a no-brainer. That's why I was very surprised to see Vladdy hitting in the three spot. And that would tell me that Vladdy doesn't like hitting second. That, that's the whole point here is it's one thing to say what all the numbers are saying, but you have to get that player to buy in. Okay. Maybe Vladdy's not buying into that. How do you handle that? Because I remember covering the Montreal Expos team. Larry Walker had to hit third. It was a loaded lineup. Larry Walker had to hit third. It just did. How, how do you handle that if the numbers, and, and mm-hmm. this gets to what Dave Martinez was saying, and ball players know, like I know Juan Soto knows this. Juan Soto doesn't you know, doesn't need Davey Martinez to tell him, hey, you're going to get up to the plate more often than that. Guys are very, players are very comfortable with analytics now. Yeah, we had Bo on and Bo said, I don't pay attention to analytics. Sure Launch angle, yada, yada. Yeah, they, they talk that lingo. They, they talk that lingo. What do you do if Flatty, and we don't know, but what do you do if Flatty doesn't want to hit I, second? I absolutely know there's been conversations between Bo, the first four guys. Well, the, the the guy that leads off, there's no conversation. He knows he's leading off. When he's playing, he's healthy. He's the lead off. Bo likes cleanup. Two, two through four is mm. I know there's conversations, and I have no idea how the conversations went, but it's obviously went a way that doesn't add up to the exact number because you see a different lineup basically every day, and you're trying to determine whether it's matchups. Are you really worried about a matchup between Bo, Teoscar, and Vladdy? Not really. I'll take Vladdy in most matchups. I'll take Vladdy in most matchups. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my three guys. I'm going to line them up every single day the way the numbers say they should be lined up. I don't care who's pitching. I'd rather you worry about how I'm matching I think they're better hitters than you are a a, a pitcher. So 
I just that would tell you that the conversation between Vladdy and Charlie, I'm assuming that's the conversation because that's the way the conversation should be. And I've mentioned this. Charlie is a better communicator today than he was a year and a half ago. So I'm sure they've had that conversation between everybody. And it just seems like by the lineups that are running out there that Vladdy, for whatever reason, doesn't like hitting second. Now, I have had conversations with, say, Justin Smoke. It's just a name I threw out there that I've had a conversation with. When he would hit other than fourth, he would have to hurry. That would only be one time. Maybe you're telling this. He would have to hurry from his position to get to his bat, his helmet, his batting gloves. Now, you say it's silly. He's a big leaguer making adjustment, but it matters. He's a creature of habit. Now he's he's worrying about how fast I have to run off the field. Where do I put my helmet? Where's my bat at? Where's my batting gloves? Where's all the stuff that I put on, the elbow guard, the ankle guard, all those things that go into it. It's something else that they have to think about other than see ball, hit ball. So I just – I personally, this is just me, I think to just put so much pressure on every pitcher that you would ever face, Springer and Vladdy 1-2 would just smother mm-hmm. pitchers. Like, it would just make them, their head want to pop off because now they're throwing more in a bullpen. They're, every pitch has to come off the exact same, the, the right way. They're, they're making that quality pitch right out the gate that they probably don't have to with Bo. You can get Bo out if he's struggling, right? Yes. Elevated, you can get him to chase a little bit. Most of the time, you're not going to do that. I also think Bo is a better hitter when he's got a man on base. I think he gets quieter. I think he thinks the other way yes. a little bit more. He's not as frisky. Yeah. When, with, when, when you know, it. hitting second and hitting in front of Vladdy, knowing he's going to get heaters and fastball counts. You know, he's always going to undress people with the swing. Just how it is. Yeah, he's got the flow. He's going to do that thing. He has quietened the hand, hands down. You see, he wiggled more last year. It's quieter because he's trying to get it in the slot quicker. Okay, I was going to ask you, as a hitter, explain, the, yeah, explain well, what that would That's would barrel do. awareness. I got to know where my barrel's at. The more I wiggle it, like Cabin Biggio, he still wiggles it, but it's not as much. When he was on the show with us, he's telling he's quieter. That's why he's doing toe tap. Mm-hmm. He wants to feel the barrel, get it in the slot quicker. That way he knows where it's going and he can fire it and always thinking about his swinging at a strike. So, yeah, for me, it's 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 perfect scenario would be Vladdy hitting second, Teoscar hitting third, Bo hitting fourth. Now, again, they don't care what I think. It's more about the player and it's more about their team. But if you're an opposing pitcher and you're thinking, okay, I got a little break there, especially early in the season, maybe the big giant leg kick's not there with Bo. I can work around that. And if I get the first two guys out, and I will say this too, what some of the coaches were relaying to me is they didn't like the two-pitch Two out thing. Springer's very aggressive. He gets a center cut thing. He flies out to left field. Bo's the exact same way. Vladdy's walking up two outs on two pitches. You don't want him thinking about taking pitches, right? Right. So I you just, want Vladdy up with one out or no outs as much as possible you, in a game. You want him thinking about nothing other than just going sweet and smooth and going back Lake City and doing his thing. So let's look at the rest of the order. Dan touched on this yesterday and touched Dan Schulman touched on it yesterday on a on our show as well today. Let's look at the rest of the order. Uh, Teoscar cleaning up. Guriel hitting fifth. Bird slash Kirk, whomever, hitting sixth. The DH spot, I should say. Matt Chapman hitting seventh. And then you get down to the bottom part of the order. And Tabby made this point yesterday, and I think it's right. I like having Espinal and Biggio in the ninth spot because... One thing I know about those two, even if they're scuffling, they can get on base. I mean, it plays to the strengths, I think, of, of them as hitters. 
And all I, we've talked about this, all you want out of your ninth guy is to get in base and turn, yeah. turn the, the, the order over. Yeah. I don't care if it's a two-out walk. I, that's good. Found my ninth place hitter, two-out walk to bring George Springer up. I'm more than we happy. We saw it. Espinal um, walks on a 3-1 pitch, and exactly. then he comes up and it's a homer. Yeah, because, you know, the guy's just walked somebody. I'm gonna, he's going to throw me a first-pitch fastball probably. He's just walked somebody. Here comes the first-pitch fastball. I'm going to hit it. Mm-hmm. I think that's – I think Charlie – I think the lineup is probably it's probably easier to put together this year than at any point in the past couple of years. It's yeah. probably easier to put that lineup together yeah. and leave it. Yeah, consistently. I don't think you can overthink it. I look, I, I I like that. Danny Jansen. Have you seen anything spring training about his swing that that no, would tell Danny you that Jansen he's going to do his thing? I, I, I'm you know not what real I want sure to do? about that. Hit in the eighth spot and run into one again. Mike Zanino. That's all I want. Hit in the eighth spot. Give me good defense. Run into one. Boom. We're good. I think it's, it's all more about the good defense than it is offensively. Uh, he, he'll have to show you that he can do certain things. But I, w- I don't I, want him hitting ninth because of that, Kevin. I want that ninth place hitter, somebody who can get on base so that Springer potentially comes up with somebody yeah, in base is what again, I'm saying. We, we talk about the analytics and, and people you know, defensively putting guys in the right positions. Espinal was a, was a ground ball hitter last year. So it was, you know, now they have a, a year knowing where he hits the ball. They might be a defender standing there. Is that going to is that gonna add up? They're so, you know, Espinal is still a little bit of an unknown, but I'm with you. Gives you a better chance, maybe a, a rolling lineup over. And Springer's coming up more times than not with somebody on base, which is... Two run homers are cooler than, you yeah. know, and and maybe and maybe those two guys can score from first. It's double in the right center field gap. Guy cuts it off faster than Danny Jansen, sort of like that too. Because it's not always going to hit a homer. It's not always going to hit two run homers. Mm-hmm. But that's what you want to do. You want to put pressure on the defense and maybe tight late in games. They could steal base. Danny Jansen can't do that. So it's I'm with you. These are all things they're going to sit down and, and figure out ways opening day to put everybody in the right positions and make the guy hitting behind them a better, easier at bats. But I, for me, it's, it's about one through four. Where do you put them? And I don't know. Every time I'm sitting around thinking about that, I, I just think it's a no brainer for Vlad to be in the two hole. That's just me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, this is, uh, this is, this is, this is something teams, this is something teams go through. And it is, it, it is remarkable though. I should remarkable overused word it intrigues me and interests me just because i'm so used to hearing that your best hitter hits third and you heard that all the time too the yeah best hitter in your team's got to hit third because i want him up in the first inning that's what it was always said yeah. i want him up in the first inning and at some point somebody said well hang on now if i can tell you that i've got a place to make sure your best hitter gets up in the first inning and is getting up 19 more times remember, a game why don't we do that remember too vladdy had a lot of success hitting third last year Got some confidence hitting in that role. Hey, you're talking routine. about a guy's a tri- triple crown candidate sure, and runner up in the MVP sure, award. But again, you got to be a good salesman. You got to go in that room and say this is what best is best for our team. You're getting more bets. You know what more bets mean? More money for you because you may hit a couple more homers. That's that's the way you got to sell this thing. And and again, I don't know if it, I don't know if they're reading this much into it, but just 19 more bets. That's a lot of bets at the end of the season. Let's see what can he do in 19 at bats. Three or four homers, mm-hmm. like, you know, three or four extra base hits, walking four, five, six more times, making Teoscars at bat a little bit easier. Just makes it sound easier and makes more sense, makes your team better. But, again, I just from the, the, the lineups that they're having now would tell you that I just don't think that Vladdy's buying into that. That's just me. 
Jim Cobb will join us in a few minutes. He is a longtime MLB broadcaster, 2022 Hall of Fame inductee, 25 years in the majors, author of Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. So he took the title of my book. Huh. You pitched 25 years in baseball? He he, he pitched 25 years. I'm just going to look here. He got 283 wins. 25 years? I do believe it was 25 years. That's a long time. let Let me see here. Come on. Come on. God, I hate I hate technology. Really hate technology. Pitched a long time in the majors. <laughs> twenty five years. Twenty five years, two hundred and eighty three wins. That's there a long go. time. That is a long time. Uh, he'll join us in a few minutes. Uh, what else haven't we talked about with this with this team? I, I'll ask you. I'll ask you this, Kevin. Um, who? Who is going to be the surprise this year? Who are we, let's say, in September as the Jays are getting ready to wrap up the AL East title? We're going to look at that guy and go, God, I did not see that. I did not see that. Is there a player or a pitcher that you think is going to be a surprise? Yeah, I see, I think it gets back to that when I said, you know, when you look at the 28-man roster, is there a guy on there you're going, really? Why is he going north? I don't think there's any of those. I, I, I don't, Taylor Sacedo, I can make an argument for him because of the funky no, but arm I mean angle. positive in, 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 I, in a good I, a way. Surprise. I, I, I got a feeling, you and Danny touched on, touched on this, I got a feeling Guriel is going to have Okay, if, a, he, if a, he hits 25 homers, that's a surprise to you? If, no. if, he, if, he, if he hits 280 and drives in 80 runs, that's a surprise to you? That's what he should do. He's hitting fifth. All these dudes on base in front of you. That's what, that's why you're hitting fifth. So that's not a surprise to me. If Matt Chapman comes and hits 250 and hits 40, 40 might be a surprise. I'll give you that. Okay. 40 might be a surprise hitting 70 or hitting seventh. That 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 might be a surprise. 40's a lot. That's a big jump. But 35, 30, 30, between 35 and 40, that might be a surprise. But I, I think there's expectations on every position on this team, and guys need to live up to it to go where they want to go. What would be good for a Biggio-Espinel combination? 325 on base percentage. I've said this. I don't care how many homers they hit. Play really, really good defense. Balls hit at you. Play you should make, make it most of the time, if not all the time. You do that, get on base. You know, If they have an on-base percentage of 325, Roll the lineup over. We just mentioned that. You're hitting ninth. I don't care how you do it. You need to bunt with a little bit of a shift. If you're Kevin Biggio, do that. Get on base. Do you think that a the combination of Matt Chapman and a healthy George Springer, knock on wood with Springer, is that going to be enough to offset the loss of Marcus Semyon? Because I, we do talk about the, that's a lot of war that has been yanked out of that that lineup. Yeah, do you I, think those that, that that combination Absolutely. offsets that. I, I would flip it over to you and say the, the Robbie Ray absence. How do you make up for a Cy Young right. Award winner? How do you make up for punch outs? He hid defensive woes. How do you make up for that? Because Kevin Gosman good enough to do that? Is you say good enough to do that? Can Alec Manoa continue to make strides? I'm not putting numbers on Alec Manoa. I have no idea what they're going to be. But, you know, adjusting uh, fingers on a changeup, is it good enough? Mm-hmm. Can he make a, a little step forward? I don't know what that is. Maybe that's innings jump. He's going to be asked to do that. Yes, he is. Can he do that? You know, could he do, how's it going to look if he has to make three starts in a row against the same team? We've seen how bad that looks sometimes. Can he do that in the American League? So how's that going to look? I'll flip it on that side other than the the offensive side of 
George Springer, we think he plays 150-plus games. The numbers are going to be there. Chapman, you think he plays defensively? He's just going to do enough that everybody's happy with that. Mm-hmm. And what he gives you offensively, you know, he's going to hit 25-plus. 25 is enough. You made an interesting point as well before we came in the air about Chapman, and, and I know that uh, Luis Rivera's talked about this, and we've talked about it with everybody who's come on our show when we talk about Chapman and his defense and just how much ground he covers. You mentioned that if if baseball either does away with the shift or put some sort of restriction on the, on, on the shift next year. What's that? It, it is happening. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. I'm thinking, and I don't know Frost Atkins, I've got to think that maybe somebody in the Jays front office thought about this, or at least it occurred to them in getting Matt Chapman. But if you do away with the shift, Matt Chapman becomes even more of a defensive weapon, doesn't he? Because of the ground. Yeah, I think cover. you're talking more about Bo hiding what Bo can't do. Because he's better range left right. and right. The, you know, Bo, it's almost Bo, like a one-man shift L- in some ways. Louis Rivera even said it when when he was on the air in the fourth inning yesterday, I think it was. Uh, he said the Bo's backhand is the issue. That's why they were putting him. If you'd noticed, you know, Blue Jays fans are very smart. Whenever they noticed and you show the, the, the view of the whole entire field and you see Bo in that third base hole, there's a reason for that. They want him catching balls in front of him instead of him trying to backhand it because the internal clock, clock starts telling him, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know where everything's going, and then he starts chucking balls away, and, you know, the guys are running all over the place. So I, I think it's, you know, I think it's more about that than it is the Chapman thing. And I think, again, we give Bo credit. He's on backfield. He's the first guy there. I'll tell you, I was the first guy there in spring training, and the first guy I saw was always Bo. I'll be honest with you. Bo would walk right by me. It's dark. I'm an early guy, Jeff. You know me. Uh, you I'm the first guy there usually trying to figure out where I'm going and all these things. And he, you see him walking by, and you can see he had a hoodie on. It's very hard. You know, the easy way to tell if it's Bo or not is the flow. Mm-hmm. But when he's hiding the flow, because he just got out of the shower and he's got it in the ponytail or whatever he's doing with it, and he's got the hoodie on, you really got to look at him. And it's always him because he's going to that little tiny field with Louie flipping balls and trying to figure out how to get better. Give him credit. It's better. He's not a he's not a defensive liability anymore. No, and we know that uh, in addition to uh, to to being joined at the hip with Marcus Semyon last year, we also know that he went and did some work with Troy Tulowitzki in the off season as well, and uh, that pretty good. Pretty good guy. Positioning. In terms of work ethic and, and, and positioning it's and things about of that positioning, nature. positioning, what you do off pretty the field. Pretty good guy to have as a guy, wow. though. Absolutely. Pretty good guy to have as a guy. Absolutely. 25 years in the majors, 283 career wins. Jim Cott is an MLB broadcaster, 2022 Hall of Fame inductee. He's got a book coming out, Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. Jim Cott joins us next. This is Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, wherever you get your favorite podcast, we'll be on from 10 to noon Eastern. Starting Monday, we're going to be on 360. And of course, we will be doing Blue Jays talk immediately following Jays games during the regular season. The home openers Friday 
against the Texas Rangers. Jose Barrios on the mound for the Jays. John Gray for the Rangers. It's going to be fun, actually. You know, I was thinking about this. Not similar, obviously, but last night in Toronto, the Raptors welcomed back uh, Kyle Lowry. Yep. I, I'm going to say that. I think Kyle Lowry, one of the three most important athletes in Toronto history. And uh, different different level, obviously. But Friday, you're going to get to see Marcus Semien back here. And that's going to be, I think, for a lot of Jays fans, uh, an interesting moment. Um, Marcus Samian's never played in front of 40,000 people. Here. Well, he, that's not true. Yeah. I was going to say not as a member of the Blue Jays because when he was here last year, they weren't. the stadium wasn't full. <laughs> but it's going to be a sellout. And it'd be nice. It'd be nice if there was. I'm sure the Jays are going to do something for Marcus Samian. It'd be nice if the fans... Uh, yeah, what if he fans hits a, gave him a, what if he hits a homer and Espinal or Biggio goes over for four with three punches and fans are throwing their hands in the air? Nah, they won't be. Nope. They won't be. Uh, Marcus Semyon made a a real impact on this team. All you have to do is look back look back at the the conversation or the, the media availability Bo Bichette did at the end of the year, uh, where he got quite emotional talking about talking about Marcus Samuel. So anyhow, just, just throwing that out there. I'm sure Jays fans are smart enough and, and are yeah. aware enough that they're going to do that, but it is going to be great to see, uh, to see Marcus Semien back here after signing that billion dollar contract with the Texas Rangers. Him. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Um, the book is entitled good as gold. My eight decades in baseball. Think about that. Eight decades. Oof. 25 years as a major league pitcher. Jim Cott is going into the Hall of Fame this year. He is a 2022 inductee. And we're very pleased that he joins us on Blair and Barker. Jim, thank you so much for doing this. We, we trust that you're, that you're keeping well. We certainly, uh, we certainly appreciate your time. Congratulations on the book. Uh, that title jumps out. My Eight Decades in Baseball, that, that it gets my attention. I'm sure when you looked at the t- the cover of the book, you must have thought, yeah, it gets my attention too, doesn't it? <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yes, uh, I got uh, the message from my good friend, Lauren Rubenstein, who you've had on several times talking golf. But, yeah, it's not like I spent 80 years in baseball. <laughs> but I was fortunate. I came up in the uh, – in the late fifties. And then last year, my career touched on the eight different decade that I've been involved in uh, major league baseball. So uh, the book is uh, about some of the stories from each decade. And then uh, I kind of have a, uh, what I like and don't like about today's game uh, at the end of the book. So uh, uh, yeah, I, I just got a few of the original, the uh, first copies myself, and have my first signing coming up here in a couple of weeks. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what kind of reception it gets. Okay, I got to ask. You know, I was, I was a guy that played 16 years, but it was up and down. You know, I got five, five parts of five years in the big leagues and six years in AAA. So my career is <laughs> all over the place. I got to ask you, 25 years pitching at the big league level—that's that's a long time. But what what was the hardest thing from the start? to the finish. Like what, what was, did have you noticed something that was tougher the 25th year than it was the first year? Well, I think it's, it's adjusting to the fact that as a pitcher, you know, when you're 20 or 21, you're uh, 
I wasn't an overpowering pitcher even in in my younger days, uh, but I you know had a, a what I'd call a power fastball in that era. But uh, adjusting every year to what do you have going for you, and you know by the the last six years I was fortunate that uh, the game became more specialized. I can't say I'm a big fan of that, but anyway it it enabled me to be a lefty out of the bullpen. And so I had to adjust. Uh, I became a sidearm pitcher and, and you, you kind of adjust uh, based on what kind of stuff you've had. Obviously the fastball at age 44 is not what it was at, uh, at 20, but that's probably the biggest uh, uh, adjustment. And, and uh, I was fortunate that um, I, I had an attitude going to spring training every year that I really had to make the team. I never felt like, hey, I got it made. I'll just cruise through spring training. And I think that helped me uh, learn how to prepare. You know, the older you get, I think it takes you a little longer in spring training to prepare because if you have a little uh, nagging injury and a setback, you're not going to heal quite as quickly. So uh, things like that that I adjusted to and and, uh, served me well and of course, if you're left-handed and you can uh, walk and chew gum and throw strikes, you can stick around for a long time, and that's what enabled me to do it. Uh, would the shift have helped you or hurt you? Uh, I really don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think the way hitters are, I mean, I, I don't like the shift, never did, but I'm, I've just been amazed when I talk to, like, Rod Carew. I don't know if they'd have shifted off Rod or Tony Gwynn, but uh, – hitters didn't adapt uh, to the shift. So I guess like with left-hand hitters, I would keep uh, pitching them outside because I see guys with the man on second, the left side open, and they pitch them uh, on the outside corner and they continue to try to pull the ball. So I think I'd really have to experience it and pitch with the shift before I could really give you a, a, an honest uh, answer on that. What do you like about the game now? And what don't you like about the game now? Well, I like the ability of the players. Uh, I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm probably too old school. I, I wish they still had 16 teams and the quality of baseball would be off the charts, eight in each league. But, uh, uh, you know, I just think when I look at, I remember when I first looked at Andy Pettit uh, when I was doing Yankee games and Andy at 22 could do things that I couldn't do at 22. And then I began to realize, you know, the shortstops are now six four two thirty. 230, you know? So the athletic ability is, is great. And I enjoy seeing the, uh, the exciting athleticism, whether it's, you know, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Making a catch course, you can go back in Toronto. And I saw Devon white make some great catches as well. So the athletic ability just keeps getting better and better. I don't like the invasion of science into the game or any sport for that matter. Uh, Jim Beatty, I think that's a name might be familiar to mm-hmm. Torontonians baseball wise. Jim's a good friend. We play some golf together and he was a, a general manager as well as a player. And he said, all this science stuff belongs in the office to evaluate players. You know, you can look at, say the radar gun readings and say, well, this guy's beginning to lose it a little bit. Tampa Bay has really done a good job of, of using that information, but I just hate uh, what it's done to the game on the field. I just think the players are so good. If you just threw the ball out there and said, Hey, uh, 
you're a high school senior, a college junior with all that great ability. Just go out and play the game. Uh, I think I would enjoy that better. We might see a more exciting game. I don't like the uh, what it's turned into home run derby. And, you know, it would be so simple to solve that. But I really don't think baseball ownership wants to change it. I think they like the home runs. But uh, like golf, if they softened the ball and regulated the bat, uh, we'd have more teams like the 82 Cardinals that I played on. We hit 67 home runs as a team, stole 200 bases, and uh, won the World Series. That was an exciting team to be a part of. Jim, do you have a favorite player now, a player you can't wait to cover, can't wait to sit down in front of a TV and watch? There's so many of them. I think, you know, it's it's interesting to see how mature Juan Soto has been from his very first days, and I'm I'm fortunate now, uh, still involved with the Twins, that when healthy, I don't think there's a more dynamic player than Byron Buxton. Uh, But, you know, there are many. Arenado at third base, and you mentioned Marcus Simeon. I mean, every team has has a few uh, players that I enjoy uh, watching play. I don't know if there's any one that... that sticks out because there's a lot of them. I mean, I, I remember when I first saw Ken Griffey Jr., you know, he really stood out. And then if you take it a few decades back, it was only Willie Mays. Mm. But there are center fielders now. Uh, they make catches that the old school fans would, would say, oh, you can't be saying that. But, mm. you know, they make catches now uh, like Willie, <laughs> Willie Mays made. He was the only one. Now there's tons of them. In conversation with Jim Cott on Blair and Barker. All right, I, this is I, this is going to be a moment where I kind of hog things a little bit, mm-hmm. only because I grew up in Manitoba. I grew up a Twins fan. I listened to the Twins religiously. I was not a, well. I was five years old in '65, six and '66. So get where I'm going with this. But Jim, doing reading on those Twins teams, what you know. There's this kind of whole era where I think people sort of forget what ha- forget what happened. The Twins went to the World Series against a real good Dodgers team. There were like five or six years where the Twins were really an elite franchise. Tell me about those teams and, and some of the guys you played with. You know, I mean, Tony Oliva and Harmon Killebrew and, and all these all these guys, Earl Batty. Tell us a little bit about those teams because I – that particular era of Twins baseball has always kind of fascinated me. Well, I don't know how much time you have. I could tell you a lot about those guys, but you know what? I When we moved up to the Twin Cities, my first full year was 1961, the original year for the Twins. And, uh, you know, Harmon began to develop as the premier power hitter. Bob Allison was a rookie of the year. And we were still, you know, uh, last or seventh place team. And then we began, the word was, boy, if the Twins ever get some pitching, because they were always known as a power hitting team. And then, uh, you know, first of all, we signed so many talented Cuban players. Mm -hmm. I used to kid fans when we first went around the league in the mid-60s, early 60s, and the logo on our cap said TC, and a lot of fans didn't know what that meant, Twin Cities. And they'd say, what's the TC for? And I'd say 20 Cubans <laughs> because we we had Tony Oliva, Zoilo yeah. Messias, we had Camilo Pasquale, Pedro Ramos, Julio Becker, on and on. Papa Joe Cambria, you know, signed like Epi Guerrero did for the, for the Blue Jays with all the Dominican talent. Yeah. 
And so those guys began to develop. Zoila became an MVP. And, of course, Tony, who has been a great friend and been honored to go in the Hall of Fame with him this year, became the premier hitter in the American League. And so once we got Mudcat and, uh, uh, you know, I began to develop as a, as a solid uh, pitcher in that era, then we had the pitching to go along with the hitting. And, uh, you know, the Red Sox with the impossible dream knocked us out on the, on the last day. And then the Orioles were just a cut above us with their solid pitching. But for the decade of the sixties, overall, uh, we were, we were right up there near the top. Once we began to, you know, we finished second in 62 and had a little fall off in 64. But from then on, we were, we were a pretty solid all around team. And I think it was the, uh, the defense and the pitching to go along with the, you know, with the power hitting that we had. Yeah. I'm just looking at some of the numbers out of that 65 world series where you guys took on that, that, I mean, that, that legendary Dodgers team, you know, what was game seven? The final was two, nothing, three, nothing, two, nothing for the Dodgers. Uh, you, uh, Sandy Koufax, Koufax got the win. I think you, you, you got the loss in that game, but man, that, that was such a, that was just such a cool just a cool time, wasn't it, for baseball? That World Series was just full of amazing names. Yeah, they still, uh, I mean, Sandy, who's unfortunate, has become a, a friend. I think uh, I know one of my friends who's a director with CBS and, and knows Sandy well. He said, boy, I'd like to get you two guys to sit down and, and rehash that series because, you know, we were the power-hitting twins of the American League, and they were the kind of, uh, you know, ping pong hitting type hitters with this great uh, two starters in Koufax and Drysdale, like my friend Ron Paranowski, who was with them, then used to say, uh, when the Dodgers came to town, it was always Koufax, Drysdale, and many others. And uh, <laughs> that game seven, just to give you an idea how it turned, I, uh, I gave up two runs on three consecutive pitches that took about two minutes. Uh, Lou Johnson hooked a ball off the foul pole fairly hit a double Parker's trying to move him over dinked a little single in the right two nothing. And, uh, you know, Sam Mealy had to make the change. He said, we got to play like it's the ninth inning. And I already knew literally that we had no chance. Sandy couldn't throw a curveball after the fourth inning. And he just blew us away for the last five innings. And that of course was after he shut us out two days, but three days before that, right. he came back on two days rest. And, uh, so that was a pretty, uh, pretty awesome uh, performance and a, and a good thing to be about. I think what, what we were guilty of as a team is to come from where we were as a last place team coming from Washington and then just getting to the World Series. We, you know, we felt pretty, pretty happy just getting to the World Series where the Dodgers had won in 63. And of course they had that unhittable pitcher. So uh, I, I think maybe uh, the focus wasn't quite what it should be. It was just one of those, hey, we're glad to be here. But uh, to get beat by Sandy and the way he pitched was, uh, uh, you know, we, we can't really feel too badly about that. There's a cute story about the way that unfolded if you have time. But, you know, Sandy didn't pitch game one because of the Jewish holiday, mm-hmm. uh, Yom Kippur. So I drew him in two, five, and seven. And Drysdale started game one and we hammered him. And so Alston comes out to take the ball from Drysdale, like the fourth inning. And Drysdale says to him, 
Boy, I bet you wish I was Jewish, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Jim, Jim uh, Marquise Grissom was my favorite teammate. Did you have a favorite teammate? I had a lot of them. I love Marquise Grissom. I mean, my friend Dick Allen passed away last year. Dick became one of my favorites. And, of course, Harmon was the gold standard mm. uh on our team early on. I mean, I, I, th- I think when you're, when you are on a, a team, there is a certain group of guys within that team that you become close to uh, the Cardinals in 82. You know, I love being a teammate of Bruce Suter and Ozzy and Willie McGee. And so I can't really uh, say I had a, I had a teammate that I think stood out as a legendary player. And that would be Dick Allen. I mean, nowadays guys have walk-up music, <laughs> Well, Dick Allen would never have wanted walk-up music, but he was doing so well in 72 that Nancy Faust, the organist, when he came up, she played Jesus Christ Superstar and he hit a home run. And that that walk-up music stuck every time he came up. I think that was really the start of walk-up music. And uh, Dick could just do legendary things on the field, and uh, it it was a real honor to be a teammate of his. Listen, Jim, it's a real honor uh, to have you on this show. Thanks so much. Really look forward to the book. It's called Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. It's going to be released on April 19th. You can pre-order now. Um, hey, thanks so much for doing this. It's, as I said, it's great to, great to hear your voice. Uh, stay healthy, be well, and, uh, and we'll do this again. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for, uh, for promoting the book. I appreciate that very much. I enjoyed it. Take care. <clears throat> that is Jim Cott, MLB broadcaster, 2022 Hall of Fame inductee. And, uh, yeah, look, 1965 World Series, the Dodgers beat the Twins. These are the names. Mudcat Grant, Don Drysdale, Jim Cott, Sandy Koufax. You, know, you heard Cott say he, he faced Koufax three times, won one, lost two. Uh, you know, Willie Crawford, Willie Davis, Don Drysdale, I mentioned him, Jim Gillian, uh, Gilliam. Just uh, amazing players. Maury Wills, and then for the Twins, Bob Allison, Earl Batty, uh, Harmon Killebrew, Tony Oliva, and, and you know, Zoila Versalis. Just an amazing, an amazing World Series. And if you, if you get a chance, do some reading on those two teams. How would you like to watch a game with Jim? Sit down beside him and watch a game. The best. How he can break down pitchers and just what he was talking about, changing arm angles, the, the, the older he got. Just it's... And that would be that would be some kind of cool thing. Yeah, yeah. I often w- wonder how it'd be to sit down with Buck Martinez because I've never gotten a chance to do that. A catcher, been around forever. What does he think? How does he think about it? Be cool to sit around with Jim and have that conversation. Yeah, there are guys in the game. You know, there there was a book called Pure Baseball, and I always I I, I tell people that if someone says to me, "Hey, I, you know, I'm just become a baseball fran- fan. Uh, what's a good book to read?" There's a book called Pure Baseball. Keith Hernandez, I cannot remember the name of the author. I always remind myself I'm going to do this. Basically, he watches a game with Keith Hernandez. Oh. And Keith Hernandez, just they go down, pitch, 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 pitch. And, of course, in between and around it, Keith tells stories as well. But, uh, yeah, th- this will be, be a great read if you're a fan of baseball history because Jim Cott faced everybody. He played with everybody. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's broadcast everybody. And like I said, Mike Bryan, thank you, is the author. Thanks, uh, Dylan Brown. It's Mike Bryan and Keith Hernandez, if you're, if you're looking for it, it's called Pure Baseball. I think it came out, I want to say it came out like 12 years ago. 
something like that. But um, yeah, and uh, Tony Oliva, man, that, that was, you know, I, I, I don't get all fanboy necessarily, but I was covering a game at the Metrodome, uh, I want to say like eight years ago, nine years ago in the press box. The front row of the press box is you can reach over and touch the fans on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I was sitting that day, they had Tony Oliva was right in front of me. So I, I don't ask folks for autographs. Generally, I don't ask folks for autographs. But I had my scorecard there, so I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around, and I said, uh, Mr. Oliva, could you sign my scorecard? And he said, yes. So I got, and it was a classic. You know how the guys in the days, how they signed their names so you could read so, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Not like now yeah. where it's squiggle, squiggle, period, yeah. Yeah. right? Back then, you could read it. And he very signed his name very deliberately, and it was, ah, it's just cool. Anyhow, I'm glad to glad to speak to Jim Cotton. Oh. I, I like geeking out on twin stuff anyhow, so. Um, but there you go. Yeah. And, uh, I, Jim caught, by the way, worked so fast. I can see it taking two minutes, three pitches in two minutes Yeah, for that to unwind. Oh, it's just cool. That's that been one of the coolest guests we've ever had. Just, just uh, 25 years like, coming from a guy like me who just tried to get there and stay there and knowing how hard that is. And yeah, you can appreciate game. that. Oh, it's, it's uh, the old saying, it's not hard to get there. It's hard staying there. Yeah. You think about everything he would have seen in that game, everything he would have gone through to to compete, not just to compete, but to be good. Like he didn't not hang on. He was he was good. He was a you know he he was a contributor to good teams. Anyway, we appreciate Jim Cott joining us. We'll we'll uh, we'll try to get him on again. Hey, you know what time it is? We did this on the uh, podcast. Parker's back leg bits. De lado, Kevin Baker. Ooh. El envío saca batazo de fly por el fondo al bosque derecho, cuadrangular bestial para Kevin Baker. We said Parker's bits, not Baker. My goodness, Parker just airmailed that thing. It's time for Barker's back leg bits. All right, we're going to do this every day on the show. Where you DM us with questions for Kevin Barker. My Twitter handle, again, is SN Jeff Blair. Uh, we had a ton today. I'm going to apologize, Cheryl Fullerton. I, I, I mean, I, th- there's a ton of questions. I'm going to keep these in the queue, and, I, and, I, and I, I, we will get to them. That's, that's all I'm going to say. We will get to them. Uh, Max Gilarducci. I think I said that right. Says, hey, Jeff, love the show. Who do you, thank you, who do you guys think poses the biggest threats Threat to the Jays out of the other three teams in the division. And he says, sorry, Orioles. You never have to say sorry about the Orioles on that, this show, that, by the way. That's an easy one. And then, you know, tooting this team's horn the way I'm about to won't happen often because I know on the other side of this table how much that guy loves going. this. I know where we're going. Loves this team. I know where it, we're going. It, it's the race. And, and I, and I yeah. say this. If you di- if you do some digging and, and just look at how they won 100 games last year, they, they had the two stars that they had who – through the most innings, had ERAs over five. And they won 100 games last year. To say that they're going to be better with McClanahan, Rasmussen, Kluber, Yarborough, Patino, Boz, McKay, like you're talking Fuego. Just the way they can match up against other teams' weaknesses, they do it better than anybody else. They have athleticism on the defensive side, which we never talk about in the American League East, do we? Do we talk about defense? They have it. They have it really good in the outfield. They have some athleticism in the infield. So my answer, as much as I hate to say this, is the Rays. It will be the Rays the entire yep. season. Just what they do to match up against the other team's strengths. Four teams from this division make the playoffs, correct? 
Uh, yeah, well, you got to figure. You, you think, what's Seattle going to look like in the West? What's the Angels going to look like in the West? They don't have any faith in the Angels. Seattle's going to have to prove it. And Cleveland, the pitching that Cleveland's getting back mm. with Bieber, how's that going to look? Like that, that would be the one team just because the division that Cleveland plays in is not good. Like you can be a mediocre team and, and win 90 plus games in that, in that division. So, uh, yeah, I would I would say right now, yeah, you could argue four teams coming out of the East to make the, the playoffs. Very quickly, we just have a few minutes left. Mark with a K wants to know what is a scuttlebutt on Pearson's undisclosed illness or injury? I don't think there's any scuttlebutt. I think he's got the non-COVID flu is what, what I'm led to believe. Yeah, I, I, this is the first time I'm going to say I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I have no idea what his, what his illness is. I just know that he's, he's, he's not pitching. Yeah, and he's passed two COVID tests. So that's that's kind of where we are with that. Uh, again, I know we got a, we ran out of time. We got a ton of questions. We will get to them tomorrow. We'll also probably open the phone lines tomorrow, get some thoughts. We want to do that on a fairly regular basis in this show in addition to doing it uh, following games on Blue Jays Talk. So, Mr. Barker, that's it. We will be back again tomorrow from 10 to 12, God willing. Um, in summation, in summation, we've got two more spring training games today and tomorrow. And the Jays are back here. Anything else you need to see in these next two days? Absolutely not. Wrap Vladdy in as much bubble wrap as you could possibly wrap him in. And just hopefully everybody that matters that has a name walks away from that thing 100%. That's it. I don't care how many hits you get, how many strikes you throw, I could care less. Healthy. Come back here, healthy boys. We're waiting for you. That's it for Blair and Barker. We'll talk to you again tomorrow from 10 to noon. Again, don't forget, please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your favorite podcasts.